Hello and welcome. Thanks for listening. This is Embodied Astrology and this is Renee. Embodied Astrology is my ongoing research project on the intersection of astrology and somatic practice, movement, the body, meditation, art, politics. I look at how astrology as a creative and human-made language uh, can help us understand the context of our times and give us tools for working skillfully with our own personal processes and relationships. If you want to know more about Embodied Astrology, you can visit embodiedastrology.com. And on that website, for every full moon and new moon, I write a short blog post. I'll have links to this podcast, as well as a guided meditation that I make for every full moon and new moon, and audio horoscopes uh, for all 12 signs corresponding to the lunar cycle. Uh, You can also find information on my website about upcoming events, other articles that I've written, and you can book sessions with me to get your natal chart read and I do sessions for individuals and couples and for the next couple months I'm trying out a new format um, where I make you an audio recording of your birth chart interpretation and send it to you by email and these sessions are packed with information so if you have been curious about getting an astrology session um, I encourage you to check out what I offer can find it there. I want to say a quick thank you to all of you who are supporting Embodied Astrology. I make these podcasts at home um, with pretty minimal equipment and not much production help, and I really appreciate all of your support. So your sharing of the podcast, the newsletter, um, clicking the little hearts and the likes on the different tracks, and um, spreading it on on social media and your Instagram stories and everything. Thank you. Um, It helps get the word out, and I really appreciate it. Please comment on Instagram and the blog and Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram as well. I, I do regular posts there that don't get into the podcast. So check it out, Embodied Astrology on Instagram. And if uh, what I offer helps you in your life, please consider making a financial donation if you can. Uh, one time or a recurring monthly donation, either way, both ways, everything is helpful. And your support sustains me and allows me to continue doing this work and will allow me to continue making it better and keeping it free. So thanks so much for that. Okay, a quick note about today's podcast. Um, Make sure that you listen to part one and also part two. Part two, I talk about Mercury retrograde, and in part one, I talk about everything else. So if you want to know about Mercury retrograde, check out part two. And I'm going to make a a couple of announcements next. So please listen if you're in the Portland area, Portland, Oregon, or the Pacific Northwest, or if you are in Europe. Um, These announcements are for people who are around Amsterdam, Berlin, and Greece in general. So I'm talking about things that are going on near you. And if you're interested, stick around uh, for another three minutes or so, and then I'll get into the astrology. I want to let you know about a couple of upcoming events. Uh, If you are in Portland, Oregon, or in the Pacific Northwest, I'm going to be offering two five-day series, and they're both the same series, so it's both the uh, five-day workshop, kind of. Um, August 13th through 17th in the morning from 8 to 10 a.m. is the first series, and August 20th through 24th in the evening from uh, 6 to 8 p.m. is the second series. Um, the evening series. So again, it's both are the same. 
workshop um, called The Elemental Body. And in each of these series, I'll spend um, one session every day, two-hour session, exploring the elements through the body, um, air, fire, water, earth, and ether. And we're going to be experiencing how the astrological correspondence uh, in the elements gives us axes for movement and ease and understanding in our bodies of our own spiritual selves and our personalities as well as our relationships and then of course um, using somatic practice movement and meditation as well as some journaling and conversation to to learn more about the elements. Um, if you are going to be in Europe, I'll be teaching this workshop again in Greece, September 1st through 7th in Fuligandros, and that's a retreat. And there are still a few spots left for the retreat, so if you're interested in that, you can find uh, more information on the elemental body on all of the series on my website, embodiedastrology.com. Um, also, I have a request out to people in Amsterdam and Berlin, and also anyone else who's in Greece, um, either on the mainland or the islands. Um, I'm looking for people who want to, to host me and, and my friend that I'm traveling with um, and to host us uh, to stay with you and also to host me for workshops. And I do... Um, creative workshops around astrology. I do dinner parties and um, walks and uh, kind of we'll talk about the chart in kind of different ways and use relationships and, and play and creativity to um, explore the chart. And I'm interested in teaching in different places. Um, I'll be in Amsterdam just for one night and I'm looking for a place to stay uh, for that evening and would be happy to do a trade for a chart reading. I'll be in Berlin for a couple of days at the end of September, I think around the 20th to the 24th. And I'm looking for someone who wants to host an astrology workshop and who also has um, uh, room to, to host me and my traveling companion to stay with them. And then in Greece, we'll be traveling for about 10 days. And um, gosh, we've just got kind of a, an open palette of ideas. So if you're around and you want to meet up or get together, um, send me a note through the website, embodiedastrology.com. Thanks so much for listening to these announcements. Astrology's up next. Okay, then. Well, getting into the astrology. Hmm. These last couple of weeks, months years. There's so much going on. It is really astounding and um, pretty impossible to stay on top of everything and on track with everything. And the last couple of weeks in general, as we're getting into eclipse season, we had an eclipse uh, last month, um, a solar eclipse in Cancer. I talked about that in the last podcast, uh, the first in the, the next range of eclipses that we're heading into in the Cancer Capricorn axis. And um, as we get into the summer and we're having eclipses uh, for this full moon, the lunar eclipse in Aquarius, and then in August, another solar eclipse in Leo, um, there's a, a lot that's coming up and getting stirred up and moved around. And eclipses in general are a time of change. And eclipses are um, what happens when the sun, the moon, and the earth come into alignment with one another from our apparent view. That means from our view here on earth, someone's shadow <laughs> obscures the other. So during a, a lunar eclipse, which happens at the full moon, 
the sun and the moon are in opposition with one another and the earth passes between them either directly or partially and then some or all of the earth's shadow uh, gets cast upon the face of the moon and so we'll have this on the 27th with a full lunar eclipse in Leo um, visible not in North America but um, in parts of Australia, um, Asia, Africa, Europe, and, and South America. Um, there's a link on the blog if you want to see um, the eclipse path. And um, of course, this eclipse is stimulating um, last year's eclipses as well. And so the eclipses that occurred um, uh, last summer, we had this you know crazy event in the U.S., the total eclipse of the sun, um, where I was there. I don't know, probably a lot of you were as well. Um, but if you think back to August 16th, 2016, August 7th, 2017 and February 15th of this year, 2018, um, we've had eclipses in the Leo Aquarius range in those dates. And if you think back to those times, the week or two around those dates, and recall what was coming up for you, there's a good chance that right now some similar themes are presenting and the evolution of those themes is presenting or are presenting. And the way that eclipses work um, is pretty interesting. So when I'm reading a chart, I, I see the planets kind of moving in a counterclockwise direction in a, a Western chart, in a tropical chart. And the eclipses move in a clockwise direction, or the eclipse points, the south and the north nodes of the moon. And this um, kind of suggests that we move forward in our evolution by also moving backwards, by moving into the past. History repeats itself. We um, recall and remember ourselves in order to change our current trajectory. You know, it's like when, when things come up and you have some kind of understanding or realization, you're like, oh my God, I do that. And you reflect back on your life and you realize you've done that your whole life. And then you go, I'm going to change. That's the kind of thing that happens at eclipses is we become aware of our current conditions and circumstances and the way that those conditions and circumstances have been built on the past, on what we have done and, and how we have become ourselves um, in the past. And, and then we decide to change something moving forwards. Sometimes we're not the people who decide to change. Sometimes it's the environment or um, the people around us and uh changes happen, you know, so relationships might end, um, jobs might change or, and, um, living situations, etc. Often what we find with eclipses is that some kind of change needs to happen for the evolutionary purpose to move forwards. And particularly if you have been in situations where you feel stuck and stagnant, uh, you want to change. And regardless of feeling stuck, stagnant or wanting to change, change is difficult. And as a culture that is not greatly equipped for, for change, and change, of course, is death on some level, um, kind of going into the unknown, leaving behind what's familiar, we're not given a lot of tools to be uncomfortable in our current societies. Um, so as a culture, uh, it's, it's hard to let go, I think, for most people. And so sometimes at eclipses, often at eclipses, um, I'll hear about people having stuff going on in their lives that seems outside of their control. 
And what happens later, what kind of comes up later is the feeling that, thank God that thing happened. <laughs> it finally ended or shift or allowed some opening for the next thing to happen. And remember that with every ending, there's a beginning. And every beginning, therefore, is also an ending of something else. And with this current moment in your life, if you are someone who's really feeling these eclipses, and um, if you have important placements in Leo, Aquarius, and Cancer, Capricorn, um, in any of the fixed or the, or the cardinal signs, I'm, you, you could be getting this strongly. So if things are coming up for you and it feels like the world is spinning out of control and your life is changing a lot, take some deep breaths and focus on your evolutionary capacity. Remember that you are in a wave of evolution. Um, time does not stop in the present moment. The past is constantly moving forwards through you and into the future. And the future is constantly moving uh, into you and becoming the past. And this is what the eclipses signify. They're kind of this... Um, you know, shifting in our consciousness where we feel ourselves changing. And particularly with the Leo Aquarius axis, um, we've got a lot of, of change and information and, and evolution that's happening in terms of, um, well, the themes that, that Leo and Aquarius represent. So let's break them down for a minute. On a personal level, Leo rules the heart and the spine, and this is where the sun is right now. So we're in the season of Leo, and at the full moon and during the eclipse, um, and for the next couple of days, the sun is traveling close to the north node of the moon. And in eclipses, uh, they'll happen at the north or the south nodes. Um, the north node is the direction we're going, so this is the thing that we need to open to and recognize and understand. Leo rules the heart and the spine. This is the center. And as the sign, Leo, that is ruled by the sun, um, this is your particular center. And everyone has Leo in their chart, and everyone has a sun sign, and everyone has an ego. And Leo, in its kind of most basic and essential nature, is the ego um, as it expresses itself. And the expression of the self is Leo's domain. When Leo gets overblown and unhealthy and pathological, the expression um, is totally uh, consuming and supremacist and arrogant and takes up all the space. When Leo is deficient and malnourished and um, uh, depleted, then insecurity and a lack of self-knowing and a lack of confidence ensue. Healthy Leo, which we all want, wherever it is in the chart, is feeling supported to be oneself and to let authentic interest come forwards and also having the bravery to express one's heart. And this is not easy because the opposite sign, Aquarius, expresses what social conditioning is and how uh, it manifests in thinking. So Leo is a fire sign, and the fire signs are all inherently self-interested. Aries rules I, me, mine. Leo is the personal expression. Sagittarius is the meaning and the belief 
that belongs to the, the individual. With Aquarius and all the air signs, we have the idea of relationships. And Aquarius as the um, kind of multiplicity or the social order, um, others, and as a fixed sign, Leo and Aquarius are both fixed, they're the middle of seasons. Um, Aquarius represents fixed thought and the way that uh, social conditioning then becomes our thinking. And so when I say it takes bravery to express one's heart or to be authentic and individual or unique, and these are the things that Leo wants, um, one of the main reasons that it takes bravery and courage, which are qualities of the sign Leo, is because social conditioning seeks normativity. And it kind of doesn't matter where you are. Wherever you are, there's culture and there's the cultural norm. And regardless of who you are or how you've been conditioned, there's always the place where you rub up against whatever is normal. There's always going to be the place where to express yourself feels a little bit risky and vulnerable. And there are always the, the people and the times that are like, you know, the, the cultural ideal. And so if you think of maybe I'm thinking of high school and like American high school movies in particular and these kind of cliches about who's in and who's out and the popular group and then the outcasts. This is kind of classic Leo Aquarius um, imagery and archetype. So the, the in crowd would be one of the manifestations of Aquarius, kind of what, what the group standard is. And the, um, the one who ex expresses themselves individually and breaks away and um, kind of expresses what's in their heart could be one manifestation of Leo. That's one way to look at it. Now, it's important with opposing signs that we understand that they are one and the same. They're part of each other. So in, in this idea or in this balance, we've got the group as being um, kind of of the fixed idea of normativity, and then uh, the individual as being some kind of leader and brave, courageous uh, expression of uniqueness in contrast to the group. Now, that can be turned as well. Leo, when it's in its more um, arrogant and overblown state, rules group thinking. And so here we have the image of Leo as being the tyrannical dictator, the one that takes up all the space and it goes, I'm right. And this is like, you know, my preference and my performance. And then the group going into group thinking and crowd mentality and um, responding to the dynamic leader and following them. And then what we have to do is uh, within the group have a, a disruption. And Aquarius actually has two planetary rulers. One ruler is Saturn and the other is Uranus. And I think of these two rulerships as the two functions of Aquarius. And so we have the function that I described um, previously as the Saturnian function of Aquarius, that which gets rigid and stuck and formulaic. And then we have the Uranian function of Aquarius, which is to uh, revolutionize and break apart and dismantle whatever the normative has been. So in these last couple years with Leo Aquarius eclipses and um, last summer and the summer before in 2016 have been big in terms of Leo Aquarius themes, 
um, all over the world and, and definitely in the United States with Donald Trump and with what's been happening um, in response to Trump and, and kind of social movements. And I'm going to say that as an astrologer, when I look at Trump's chart, he is totally fulfilling his purpose <laughs> and catalyzing um, this moment in, in astrological experience. Now, if it wasn't him, it was going to be someone else. And we would have experienced this, I think, no matter what. Um, which is the dichotomy between leaders and people. And this is happening all over the world right now. It's not just in the U.S. Um, I was uh, just reading about what's going on in Nicaragua right now. And um, in Nicaragua, Jose Ortega, who's um, the, the current leader, um, was, was a revolutionary himself. So he was part of a, a group, the Sandinistas, who um, were part of a, a uprising and a revolt against the old government. And now he has become this dynamic leader that is uh, exerting his control over the people, and the people are fighting back. And there's kind of a, a lot of irony there in the story of what's what's happening in the moment, because as a revolutionary, he was fighting power, and now he has become the power. And there's something uh, not at all the same, but like similar in the mythology that Trump suggests, you know, in terms of like uh, make America great again and the the weird um, propaganda that he's spread about himself as somehow being related to the working class. I don't know why anyone buys that since he was born a billionaire. I'm like given so much privilege. Um, but anyway, I mean, there is this kind of idea, at least of an outsider coming in and um, breaking something apart. And then we find that he's actually uh, just as much of an insider as, as anyone else was and, and really grappling for this control. Um, in Russia, we see this with Vladimir Putin, of course, used to be the prime minister, now the president, former KGB. He's running the country and people are revolting against him. Um, there have been elections throughout several African countries recently where uh, leaders who are in power um, are, are fighting against the, the people who are trying to claim power. This is happening in the Middle East. Um, it's happening in Europe right now with, with populism and candidates who are coming in um, representing the people, but also representing the power structures. And at least for me, you know, I'm thinking about neocolonialism and the way that monetary interests have become the ruling class. And basically what we have is oligarchy, um, which is a, a minority, a small group of people who are self-interested and who serve their self-interests. It's, it's the ruling elite. And this elite functions through politics. So we've got heads of corporations who are donating huge amount of money to politicians, and most of whom are, are puppets, um, or who are acting with the interests of their own uh, monetary gain through the corporations. And so they're together and the same. They're in bed with each other, corporate interests and politics. And then we have the people. And the people are being affected by politics, and of course, we're being affected by commerce. And this is something that is also starting to happen with more and more uh, noise and organization, is we've got a lot of social movements. And I'm so excited, personally, about what's happening with the growth of the democratic socialists in the, in the United States. I think by this point, you've probably heard of... Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to say her last name right, uh, Alexandria 
Ocasio-Cortez in New York. She's a 28-year-old, um, amazing group of people in their Saturn returns. She's one of them. Um, but she completely defeated the most powerful Democrats um, in her bid for Congress in New York. And um, another congressional hopeful, James Thompson in Kansas, who's campaigning, who she's campaigning with, and Bernie Sanders as well, um, to try and win a seat there. In New Mexico, Deb Haaland is, um, I think, a 13th generation Native American woman who's campaigning for the Democratic Party chair um, and hopefully will win a congressional seat. And throughout the country, and I think throughout the world, there are more people who are moving forwards into politics or trying to take up leadership and organizing communally to represent the needs of the people. And this is what's coming forward at this time as we have these eclipses, is the balance between um, power and the people. And so when you have an oligarchy, a small group of self-interested elite minority in control of global resources, then you have a huge amount of exploitation. And that exploitation, um, you can't separate one place from another. So exploitation of children in Africa who are mining minerals to make cell phones that we use here in the U.S., um, it's not the same, but it's also not separate from exploitation here of um, African-American children who are not being given good education, who are being impacted by racism and, and particularly environmental racism, um, growing up in places where there's higher levels of pollution, toxicity in the water, less access to social services, etc. And no matter where you're looking in the world, people who are lacking resources, people who are lacking power, people who are, are uh, not given voice, um, the, the causes and the issues that they're dealing with might look separate from the outside, but they're interconnected. And as human beings who share our home, the earth, we are all dependent on the resources of the earth, the water, the soil, the air. When these corporations and politicians have control over most of these resources and who are doing their best to exploit them for more of their own gain, who do you think really suffers? We do. So there's uprising right now and there's revolt. And over the, the next couple of years, we're going to see this um, grow drastically and dramatically. And um, in this eclipse season, we've seen this definitely the last few summers where it's it, it becomes, um, you know, pretty heightened in terms of what's happening in movements. And so what comes through at eclipses, these aren't necessarily events that are unprecipitated or um, necessarily that surprising if you look at what has been happening. These are events that have been building up and then the eclipse provides some kind of breaking point, something to come through. And whether or not this is happening on a national or international political level and we're watching, um, you know, news come out or um, uprisings or whatever, you know, these kinds of, of larger movements, or if this is happening in a deeply personal way where for some time you have had some kind of feeling of something building and you get to a point where then there has to be a change and it's either you or someone or something around you that forces that change to come through. This is what happens uh, with eclipses is that they, they 
guide us to reflect on the circumstances of our own evolution and push us into the next step. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, astrology, according, you know, as my friend Andrea Gers says, is a tool for living epically. So paying attention to astrology is one way that you can kind of look at the flow of energy and how it's manifesting in the world, understand how it's affecting you, and then make choices around your own process to encourage um, yourself to work with the flow. And if, if you know that right now, okay, there's eclipses in Leo Aquarius, we're moving into eclipses of Cancer Capricorn, you want to know where these signs are in your chart, you'll get a better idea of how to work with these energies in yourself. So listen to the audio horoscopes, that's why they're there. And listen for your rising sign. Um, you need to know your, your birth time to get your rising sign. But if you have that, then you can get a better sense of where in your life this is happening. And wherever Aquarius is, that's something that you're leaving behind. You've got to let go. And wherever Leo is, this is something you've got to move towards. So to get a little bit more specific now about um, uh, what these things might be. Aquarius is where the moon is, and the moon is with the south node. And the significance of, of the south node and the lunar eclipse is that this is where we're ending. This is where we're letting things go. Now this is heightened with the presence of Mars there, and Mars is in its retrograde cycle, and it's been retrograde um, since June 26th, and it will be retrograde through August 27th, but currently at the full moon and during the eclipse, Mars is conjunct, that means it's together with the moon. It'll, it'll lend to its red hue, the blood moon, and it'll also mean that if you um, look up at the full moon um, just a few days after, you'll be able to see Mars pretty close by. And Mars is really visible. I think it's the closest it's been to the Earth in quite a long time. And, and just look up towards the moon in the next couple of nights and you might see it kind of a reddish um, color. Looks like a star, but it's a planet. Anyway, um, Mars in the astrological significance is the energy that separates and severs and cuts through and is aggressive and assertive. It takes action. Mars is retrograde right now, and that brings its energy inwards. And it also signifies a return to something. And so it's moving backwards in its trajectory. Now, every planet in its retrograde also has what's called a shadow. And that means that Mars has turned backwards and it's kind of re-traversing a terrain that it's already crossed. And it's going back to um, a, a particular point. And that point began around May 11th. So in the last couple of months, we've had um, a, a fair amount of, um, you know, news and uh, shifting in terms of global awareness and these social movements that are coming forwards. And there's all sides to this, you know, people in support, people opposing, etc. But one of the things that definitely is going to come up with Mars retrograde and around this eclipse um, is some kind of backlash and revolt against some of these social movements for sure. At the same time, though, we'll see the social movements gaining traction themselves as more information is produced, and Aquarius rules information. And so when it uh, when Mars turns direct in August, August 27th, and then especially as it leaves its shadow period um, in October, kind of middle of October, 
a lot more information will come out and um, arguments on both sides will probably gain traction. But remember again that Aquarius is the place that we are leaving. So we're leaving something behind. But in order to leave something behind, um, we also have to kind of return to it. And this is how eclipses work. So Aquarius rules groups, it rules social orders, and it also rules our nervous system. In a personal sense, one of the, the ways that I'm seeing this um, eclipse cycle play out in myself is recognizing nervous system habits. And nervous system habits are generally in the shadow. Like we don't realize that they're there. And our nervous systems are the part of our beings that record our experiences. So from your kind of first creation, <laughs> the first couple of weeks of your life when the, the nervous system starts to develop, um, what happens is that you're imprinted with information. And every moment you get a layer of information imprinted on your nervous system. And a lot of this information is just normal. It's your environment. It's coming into some kind of relationship with the colors and the shapes and the sounds and the smells that are around you. And your nervous system then learns to respond to them. So you have sensory and motor pathways. You sense in through all of your perceptive organs and through your intuition. Um, and then you respond out, you take action in the world. And this is how the nervous system uh, functions basically. But then you also get other kinds of information and information might uh, be relational. So your parents or early caregivers, you know, as a baby, they're looking at you, they're making faces, they're pointing to things and saying the sounds that they associate to those things. You're learning language and you're also learning empathy, you're le learning to read emotion and you're learning to respond uh, from your kind of basic needs which are survival. Um, so the first part of your nervous system that's developing is taking care of your survival. You learn what's safe and what's not safe and who's familiar and who's not familiar. And then as you develop and as you grow, you learn increasingly more complex and abstract things. Language, movement, um, math, <laughs> choreography, um, whatever it is that you're interested in, and your nervous system forms pathways. A lot of those pathways, most of those pathways are implicit, and that means that we don't know that they're there. When we're learning them, we're very aware of them. As soon as we stop learning, as soon as those uh, pathways get developed, then they, they move into the shadow. They move into something that we're unaware of. So you don't learn to walk every single day. That would not be an efficient use of your time. You learned to walk at one point in your life and those neural pathways developed and now they're in the shadow. And now you put your brain towards other uses. So with this lunation and eclipse cycle and with Mars's presence, one of the things that I've been pretty aware of is my own nervous system and how I respond to my environment. I don't know if you can tell from my voice and the podcast and the things I'm interested in. I'm pretty sensitive and a little bit high strung and um, I can get really jumpy and like loud noises and stuff will, will startle me easily. And this is part of the reason why yoga and meditation have been so important for me. Um, but 
that kind of startle reflex that I have in this this state of hypervigilance that um, I am in a lot of the time has been something that I've really been noticing recently and noticing how I can work with it in myself. And the other side of this, how I've been feeling like um, I can kind of uh, heal or, or resolve some of this hypervigilance is being more trusting and like really coming into a, a space of openness and trust in my heart and in my body. And when I'm not in that space, when I get detached and kind of um, abstract in myself, I get more overstimulated. And this is Leo Aquarius. So Aquarius is the nervous system. It's the multitude. It's the periphery in the body. It rules the nervous system and the fascia. It's our connective tissues. And Leo is the heart and the spine, as well as the emotional qualities of um, love and trust and courage and kind of basic radiance in the world. So I feel in myself, oh wow, when I can actually just trust and open my heart and kind of be in a place of non-doing, um, but more relational, more present, I'm not as jumpy. I'm not as fucking anxious. And that's a relief. And then when I get more abstract and detached and in my head and in my thoughts, right, Aquarius, I get more jumpy and I lose track of my heart. And as you might imagine, this can really come up in relationships. And so I'm not just talking about jumpiness when there's a loud sound. I'm, what I'm really talking about is skittishness. <laughs> and it's like skittishness with other people. You know, like, am I safe? Am I safe in this relationship? Can I actually be myself? Um, what, if I'm myself, uh, it might cause someone else to dislike me, to turn away. So we have this axis of Leo Aquarius who I am, and then who the other people are. And Leo rules the heart and the spine. It is our most basic expression of ourselves and the willingness to show ourselves, to be authentic. How many people, you know, do you know who really feel that they can be authentic? How often do you feel that way? You know, maybe there are a couple of folks that you feel safe to be your, your true self with. And for the most part, most of us are performing most of the time. And we perform for our own safety, to fit in, right? To not cause um, negative attention to be drawn towards us, to not be a disturbance on other people, this kind of thing. So the Leo Aquarius balance for a lot of, of people is going to show up in, in this way. Am I accepted or am I not accepted? Do I have a place here or am I going to be excluded or outcast and potentially be, be put into danger? The sensation of love is courageous. You know, feeling that we can open our hearts and show ourselves and love takes a lot of courage, even when it's people that we know and trust, even when it's with our friends or with partners or with family, you know, kind of especially when it's with those people sometimes, because it's there that we feel the most acute desire to be accepted and to fit in and to not be outcast or not be put into danger. So when these eclipses are coming up, notice for these themes and how they might present themselves to you. Now, as I was saying, it, it kind of depends on your particular chart where these themes are going to come up more acutely. 
Um, they could be coming up in general. They probably are coming up in some ways in general. But depending on your rising sign and, and where you're feeling this, you know, some people might be feeling this a lot at work. Some people might be feeling this a lot at, at you know, with the family and with the family system. Some people might be feeling this a lot with their friends or their kids or their lovers or, um, you know, kind of more on a spiritual level or something. But wherever this is coming out for you, um, remember that the thing that we're moving towards is being able to open our hearts, being able to love, being able to express with authenticity. And the thing that we're leaving behind and that we're wanting to separate from is crowd mentality and groupthink. Now, crowd mentality is some fucked up crazy stuff. If you've ever been in a crowd, you have felt its power. And crowds do things that no individual ever would. You know, the way that crowds can function on, you know, on both extremes to both like, you know, create a, a huge amount of positive impact and also devastating and catastrophic impact. And the way that uh, crowds or um, collectives become their own body, and this is called the body politic, right? When we're referring to like um, a nation or something like that, or even a, a small culture, the body politic of a corporation or of the United States or of your family. It's like, how does the body um, of that group identity function? And this is a crowd, crowd mentality. So for example, in the, in the United States, we have crowd mentality around consumerism, right? And um, we're seeing like weird shit happen right now with the EPA and all these rollbacks to um, environmental protections, mostly in service to coal and, and gas industry and manufacturers. And the idea here is that Americans want to buy things, and not just Americans, people all over the world, right? They want to buy things, and but particularly when it comes to gas and coal, um, like Americans want power and they want gasoline for their cars. And you go to other places in the world, like Japan or Europe, and you see people driving like really fuel-efficient small vehicles, and they're fine. And then you come to the States, and everybody's car is like, as big as someone's like freaking apartment in Japan, it's like just this this huge disparity between um, like uh, uh, industry that we have and and consumerism, and so the body politic of the United States functions uh, as an overeater. You know that would be the archetype. It's just a glutton, and it like wants bigger and more and junk. And it just consumes and consumes and consumes. Now, do all the individuals in the U.S. function that way? No. But as a, as a nation, this is how our nervous system is operating, and this is the crowd, and this is the thing that's driving it. And so when we're thinking about you know, the group mind and the group mind in contrast to someone's personal and authentic expression, um, maybe some young man in um, the Midwest United States is growing up with a culture around him that is very machismo and, um, you know, big trucks and guns, and he doesn't feel like that's what he wants. He wants to um, maybe not drive a car at all, and, and he's worried about the animals and um, gets kind of like upset when people are too rough. Now, this guy in that culture is not going to be supported to be himself. 
you know, to show his heart and to be in his authenticity. His nervous system will adapt in some way to his environment, to the expectations that are put on him, and he'll learn to shut himself down and to perform in whatever way he needs to for his basic survival. And survival is bigger than just food and shelter. It is social acceptance. You know, we are animals and we're um, herd animals. We're, we're tribal. We need other people. And this is part of our biological makeup. If you're alone out there, it's a really scary place. And so survival also means that you fit in and you find your people. And however this young man develops in his life, you know, that's going to be some interplay between the um, expression of his self, his authentic self, and then his um, social conditioning and surroundings. And he will, you know, probably either take <laughs> one of two routes or obviously somewhere in the middle, but on one end of the extreme, he stays in the condition that he's in. His nervous system um, solidifies and hardens around this group mentality. He shoves his sensitivity way back into the recesses of his psyche. And then he becomes part of the mechanism that imposes these ideas around masculinity and consumption onto his sons or his friends or cousins or, or whomever. On the way other end of the extreme, he gets the fuck out of there as soon as he can. He goes to some, you know, liberal city on the West Coast, comes out as, uh, you know, femme in some way and like just lets it all go and, and gets in touch with his sensitive side and starts dancing and realizes that he wants a smaller, uh, you know, maybe doesn't even want a car at all and he just wants to ride his bike. And then he's got to go home and face his family <laughs> at some point or maybe he doesn't, maybe he detaches completely you know, but if he's going to go home, then the courage it's going to take to show up in that group is pretty profound, just as the courage it took to leave it was. And so this is one example, right? You have your own example of the ways that you have done this, that you have identified with and then separated from a group mentality or some kind of collective uh, fixed thought and identity. And you have the ways that you are currently struggling with this, where you feel yourself as uh, invested in some part of a larger whole or group. And that investment is important to you for whatever reason. And you're feeling that you need to express yourself with a different kind of authenticity. Your interests are changing and who you are as a radiant being. Um, you know, when you're uh, involved with this group or in the ways that you have been involved, your radiance gets shut down in a certain way. And that's the expression of this eclipse right now, is that in order to express ourselves with authenticity and not be shut down in our radiance, we have to find courage and we have to find bravery and we have to open our hearts. And we also have to turn around and confront the dominant systems and the norms or separate from them or both. So we're definitely seeing this playing out in politics right now and in social movements. And um, for all the incredibly catastrophic and, and terrible news that there is, there's also quite a lot of organizing that's going on. And, um, you know, try and pay attention to both. And I think that there's a, a good amount of you who listen to this podcast who are involving yourself in some way or another. And um, uh, this full moon meditation is for you. It's a meditation on activism. 
and or, or for activists, I should say. And if you don't consider yourself to be an activist, I'd love to invite you uh, to, to experiment with your own activism. And activism doesn't have to be protesting and picket lines. You know, that's one way. Agitation is one way to engage in activism. Activism can also be healing. You know, it can be art and it can be pleasure and it can be, you know, providing and creating solutions and new alternatives. Like we need that just as much as we need disruption and agitation. Um, when it comes to, to some of the issues right now that particularly I think are, are getting called up um, for all of us in our psyches, um, some of the big issues right now I think are, are having to do with safety and separation and having a home and having a place. And this is all over, you know, there's forced migration all over the world due to climate change and war and people who are are seeking and searching for home and who are being um, forced out of their own homes and terrorized and brutalized and killed and whose resources are being taken from them. This is not, um, these are not isolated stories in one part of the world. Um, here in the U.S., of course, we have this tragedy unfolding around parents who've been separated from their children. And I'm recording this podcast on Thursday, July 26th, and today was the day that the Trump administration had a deadline for reuniting uh, parents and children who'd been separated under Jeff Sessions' zero-tolerance policy. And there are still 900 children who have not been reunited with their parents. And some 460 of those parents have now been deported, and many of them are being told that they're not eligible to be reunited with their children. This um, needs to be understood as, as the creation of systemic trauma. You know, that this isn't just like a moment in history that uh, is really messed up. This is, a, you know, when we're talking about the nervous system, this is severe and long-lasting trauma to the nervous system of both the parents and the children. And particularly for the children, you know, that there are some babies, you know, babies that are still breastfeeding, uh, really young kids that are being separated from their parents. Um, th this is their basic safety, right? And they're being separated from their parents and put into extremely cold and harsh environments without caretakers, with, with other kids around them that are freaking out and scared. Maybe they're not in contact with their parents. They're not able to talk to them on the phone. They don't know when they're going to get back. They don't have other family who's there for them extremely traumatizing and what trauma does to the brain especially at that age is it impairs and limits cognitive capacity and so these children you know unless they receive a lot of resource and, and assistance in healing um, and even then uh, maybe not you know that they that this will impact them not just for their lives but also for their children's lives and their grandchildren's lives and we can see the results of this kind of trauma in, in multiple different communities. And, um, you know, in the history of the United States, there have been forced separation for indigenous communities <clears throat> since the colonization of the U.S. That, that native children were taken from their parents. And, um, of course, the uh, Africans who were brought here against their will 
as slaves that there is so much forced separation in these stories and lineages that for Japanese Americans who were um, put into internment camps that there's forced separation that happens here. Um, this is not a new story. And in all of these communities, if you, if you even just scratch the surface, you will find story after story after story of generational trauma. And what happens to people when they lose their, their, their roots, when they don't know who their parents are, when they don't know who their grandparents are, when they don't know who, the, who they come from and where home is, it's devastating. When you don't know where safety is, how can you be expected to then be a sane, responsible uh, uh, person in the world who's capable of um, you know, doing all the things that we expect adults to do? If you're concerned for your basic safety, you cannot pay attention to much else. And um, this really, you know, it's, it's really profound, actually, what's happening right now in, in this moment of trauma. So one way that I think a lot of us, and I, I feel like I know a lot of you who listen to this podcast, um, can be activists right now is by reaching out, those of you that are healers, um, reaching out to assist some of these families as well as other people and um, communities in your immediate area who could benefit from your skills and who wouldn't otherwise have access to it because they're marginalized, because they don't have financial capacity, etc. Um, if you're someone who's a healer and um, you offer therapeutic services, you're a body worker, you're an herbalist, you have some kind of knowledge about trauma, especially, and resolution of trauma, um, if you could volunteer a little bit or offer your services on sliding scale or have one day that you give per month to some kind of, of clinic or community organization that's serving these communities. And um, I know that Catholic Charities is doing a lot of work right now with immigrants coming in and um, people who are being reunited with their children. And you can reach out and, and offer your services there. And I know that a lot of healers don't make a lot of money and we're independent contractors and trying to figure out how to get by. Um, but my experience has been that the, the more that is given, the more is received. And um, it's such rewarding work to be able to help people. And that's why you're in this work. So um, look around and, and see if there are places where you can volunteer. Um, another way to be an activist right now is to divest. And... Uh, with a, a pretty important aspect of this new moon, we've got a square from the, excuse me, I said new moon, I meant full moon. We have a square between the opposition of the sun and the moon to the planet Uranus. Uranus has recently moved into Taurus. I've talked about this a lot. And the movement of Uranus into Taurus is the shifting of bodies and materiality and structure. So with this opposition between Leo Aquarius, between power and the people, um, one of the, the things that's happening are shifting of economies. We can see this in like a dystopian sense, uh, looking at Amazon, you know, where Jeff Bezos was recently um, acknowledged to be the richest person in history, you know, and like his wealth and the company of Amazon as compared to the actual Amazon forest and the wealth of all of us in terms of oxygen and like what that place on earth does for us, 
you know, that's one way that economies are shifting. They're shifting into um, corporations and corporations are then going to have more effect on bodies and of course the body of the earth. Now, we can be activists here and um, take our take Uranus and Taurus into our own hands and divest. And this is one of the, I think, probably the most effective ways to be activist right now. So what divestment is, is basically the opposite of investment. And your money, your capital, goes uh, towards the global capital and towards the force of capitalism in general. And I want to say that I don't think that everyone who's in business is out to be exploitative. And there are a lot of people who are trying to figure out solutions right now that are, I don't know, somewhere in between, um, you know, capitalism and socialism and trying to move towards better options and towards options that are equitable and supportive. So look for those options and in whatever ways you can support them. Um, if you still have an account, if you're someone who has an account with Wells Fargo or Chase Bank, close it immediately. Go tomorrow and close your accounts and move to a credit union and let the banks know that the reason why you're leaving is because they support fossil fuels and because they support uh, for-profit prisons. And fossil fuels are exploiting the earth and um, stealing the future from our children and for-profit prisons are doing the same thing to our societies. And you don't want to support that. So divest from them. Um, I mean, it's as simple as deciding to shop at the farmer's market and co-ops instead of Whole Foods if you can. And if you have people in your life who have skills um, and resources to share, and if you yourself have skills and resources to share, get together and figure out how to share them. I mean, even meeting for once a month and having some kind of potluck, you know, little resource sharing there, and then talking about how you can teach each other, how you can um, all pitch into some kind of fund that is going to rotate around and lend people money um, every couple of months who need it. How um, if you have extra resources and people in your communities to uh, do too, how can you pool those resources and give them to communities and people who are not uh, resourced in the ways that you are? Finally, um, look towards the indigenous communities. And wherever you are, the indigenous people are the ones who have been resisting for a really long time and who know something about it. And show up and, and listen and learn and watch some movies and read some books and learn about indigenous resistance and start supporting those movements. Um, for the most part, indigenous communities are highly invested in the land and are not only fighting to maintain their own rights and sovereignty, but they're also fighting to maintain and um, uh, support the, the rights of the land itself, you know, the, the rights of water, the rights of mountains and um, the earth. And these are resources that we all share and should be invested in. Um, anyway, I digress. The Guided meditation for this full moon is on activism. Uh, use it and listen to it. If you're someone who is involving yourself a lot, you know that activist burnout is real. And um, we also have to continue um, being active. And this square from Uranus and at this full moon is going, okay, it's time to change. The, the moment is now. And on a personal level, again, um, the way to do this is by getting into your soma, into your body, into your somatic uh, intelligence and 
stop fighting with yourself in your mind, you know, like if you're trying to change something and you're going around in circles wondering what it is and how to get there. The, the quickest and the easiest way, I think, is to really just feel what happens in your body when you go into whatever your habit is and then start to practice different body states. So with some of these themes, if you're working with um, insecurity around uh, being yourself, maybe with your family or with your coworkers or something, notice what happens in your body when you feel insecure. There's probably a really good chance that your chest gets tight and your solar plexus starts to cave in and you feel like you're trapped in a bubble. And then rather than uh, going into your head about that, see if you can literally just change how you are being. Take deep breaths, you know, stand in uh, super woman stance, spread your legs and put your fists on your hips and hold your head up high and breathe into your chest and feel your legs and, I don't know, open your mouth and yell or something. Like try on a new way of being. Um, these practices might seem simple and maybe silly, but they're actually so effective. Um, so this is this is one of the ways that, you know, I think you can, we can all personally work with this eclipse energy is by working it in our bodies. So this is going to take me into the last couple of things I want to talk about um, with this full moon. Um, let's go for the the same theme right now, working with our bodies and, and also working with our minds. Um, the sun is trying to Chiron at this full moon, and that means that the moon and Mars are sextile to Chiron. And Chiron has recently um, turned retrograde and it's in the sign of Aries. It's going to move back into Pisces um, for a little bit. And then by next spring, it'll ingress Aries once again, and it'll be a nine-year cycle of Chiron and Aries. And what Chiron does is it provides language and skills for psychological healing. It gives us the capacity to understand a problem. And we may not be the ones who can heal it for ourselves, but we will be part of an evolutionary cycle that allows healing for the collective. And Chiron in Aries will be a nine-year cycle of, of, I think, understanding um, the wounds of the ego um, and mental illness and the, the causes for both ego <laughs> wounds and mental illness. And... Um, Mental illness, you know, I think about uh, how much research is coming out now in terms of gut health and microbial and bacterial um, effect on, on cognitive function. And of course, gut health and how much of our bodies are made up of microbes and bacteria can't be separated from environmental health. And a lot of people now are, more and more people are starting to experience environmental sensitivity. And this is coming through as inflammatory conditions, whatever it's being pathologized as, you know, Hashimoto's, uh, celiac, Lyme, um, mold sensitivity, these kinds of things. It, it's all kind of the same thing in the body. It's, it's an autoimmune response and a lot of inflammation. And one of the ways that it manifests is through personality ups and downs and uh, behavioral and cognitive um, conditions and symptoms. And there's new research coming out that is kind of looking at, you know, personality disorders through the lens of gut health. 
and mental illness through the lens of gut health. And of course, we're living in a moment when anxiety and depression and bipolar um, are conditions that a lot of people are, are suffering with, and we're learning more about them. And so over the course of the next nine years, I think we'll be learning a lot more about the systemic causes of them, um, as well as the, the social causes of um, mental and ego health. And this goes back to what I was talking about um, in terms of social acceptance and uh, secure attachment, that if someone has um, uh, like social anxiety or if they feel social isolation, this becomes a source of toxic trauma and a way that the mind then turns in on itself and the ego gets really messed up and there's not a secure sense of me, mine, I, which then means there cannot be a secure or healthy sense of you and yours and ours. And social trauma is something that I think we're going to be learning a lot more about in these next nine years. And if you're someone who um, feels, again, that you, you have tools in this area, then um, spread your knowledge. <laughs> I um, really want to give a call out to my colleagues and other people who are healers and coaches and therapists and those of you that have knowledge to share and have tools that can help people to understand themselves, please stop charging so much money for your services. You know, consider donation-based services or consider some way that you can give a little bit of what you have for free if you're not already doing it. Work with sliding scale, you know, donate some of your time to communities that are underserved and, and can't access your pricing the rest of the time. I know you're self-employed and a lot of you are also struggling financially. And um, if, if you have the privilege to be working in a field that you've chosen and that feels interesting to you, then you also have the privilege to give some of, of what you have. And don't worry about it. You know, you're going to give and you, you'll receive back. So thank you to all of you that are working with sliding scale and are working by donation. But please, if you're someone who has tools for people to heal their bodies and to heal their minds and their psyches, um, give them out as much as you can. And if you're someone or you know someone who is working with these issues, then seek out folks who can help address these problems, um, not through the Western medical lens, but really through a holistic understanding of the body and the external and the social environments, because this is where we're, we're going to be learning a lot more. And um, again, one of the ways that we can dismantle some of the um, uh, control mechanisms that have been laid upon our body and have been keeping us separate and scared and um, you know willing to succumb to whatever bullshit they want to sell us so um, yes and this brings me into the last uh, little bit that I want to talk about which is Pluto in Capricorn and the trine um, from Venus in Virgo that is exact um, at the full moon and the eclipse so Pluto in Capricorn is a global phenomena. I have talked about it um, quite a bit in terms of the United States, um, since Pluto in Capricorn is um, significant in the United States birth chart at the signing of Declaration of Independence. Um, so on the one hand, United States is experiencing its Pluto return. Pluto is both power and death. And here we have the power of the United States as an ego entity dying and um, the child eating the parent kind of and 
over the course of the next couple of years through 2024, 25, as Pluto um, finishes its transit of Capricorn and then moves into Aquarius, we'll see a, tr a transformation of the United States. And my hope is that we go more towards, um, you know, the democratic socialist view that we are really, that we become the people um, in control of ourselves and empowered to um, govern ourselves and that we move away from this top-down control system. Um, but who knows, you know, Big Brother is, is looking more and more like a reality every day. So we'll see which way we go there. But Pluto is also a, a global force. And in terms of the way that it's, it's moving globally, Capricorn is an earth sign and its structure and its boundaries. So if we think about this literally as the earth, we can think about the structure of the earth and its boundaries. And um, the earth is changing uh, a lot right now. And of course, this is climate change um, as well as the Anthropocene. And the Anthropocene is a kind of suggested term. It's not used everywhere, but it's um, a proposed term for this era, this um, ge geochronological moment when human impact upon the earth is the greatest impact. And basically hum humans have uh, become a, a disease and we're um, too big in number and we consume too much for the earth to sustain. And so there's die-off. We're losing species every day, um, as well as a lot of, of human die-off. And then, of course, the Earth itself. Um, and what we're doing to the ecosystem is killing it. And the forces that are killing the planet right now are not just these, um, you know, like big bad guys in corporate suits. They are supported by all of our fear and need. So as we look at these global circumstances, let's also remember that we do have some power and some agency within all of this, though it does feel kind of outside of anyone's individual control um, who isn't at the top of the global elite. So as the people, um, one of the ways that we can you know, hope to work with the Pluto transit through Capricorn is really through transformation, that we understand that the power is within us to govern and that we don't let the governance um, literally kill us. So over the, the course of these next couple of years, you know, as our global situation becomes more and more dire, we are going to need solutions. And Venus and Virgo, this trine, I think, is the, the realization um, and a, a strong push for these solutions to start coming through. And um, people who love the earth, people who love animals, people who love one another um, are starting to band together and saying, no more. And Venus and Virgo is the love of healing. And it's the ability to discriminate and discern what is actually necessary. So as a body politic, particularly those of us living in the Western world, let's um, try and do a better job at understanding what we're consuming. And this is, of course, what is driving a lot of these forces is consumption. 
And uh, what we're consuming includes food, it includes water, it includes any products that you buy, it includes the media that you support and absorb, um, it includes ideologies and uh, the mechanisms of thought and religion. What are you taking in and therefore how are you also a part of this um, global system of influence? Um, Pluto and Capricorn as a global mechanism, you know, uh, who knows where it's going to go. I want to believe that um, we will find our way into some kind of consciousness shift, but um, I mean, it's important for any of us, and especially those of us who are um, into things like yoga and astrology and self-healing and betterment to not um, turn away from the news and from what's actually happening out there. That's called spiritual bypassing. Um, that's not what's happening right now. You know, we, we can't look at what's happening right now and go, la, 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 all is bliss and fluffy clouds. Like, Yes, we can find moments of togetherness and presence and uh, open our hearts and try and create bliss and safety and peace for the planet and for each other. But when we isolate ourselves and go into some kind of um, bubble of privilege and pretend like, uh, you know, the things that are happening aren't happening, um, it's destructive for ourselves as well as for everyone else. So if you're listening, please... Um, continue to pay attention and involve yourself in the ways that you can. Remember that um, the social movements that are arising right now are part of this shift and you can participate with them in many, many ways. And so you can participate through meditation, you can participate through song, you can participate through dance, you can um, spread love into your communities, but don't just do it with an isolated group of people. Reach out and try and do it with people who are different than you and reach out with your services and what you can offer to people who need it and who wouldn't otherwise have access and share your wealth, share your resources. Um, if you're struggling to get by, the more that you share, the more will be shared with you. So don't be scared to, to open up your heart and your wallet and your home and do what you can. Um, that's my take on <laughs> this full moon and eclipse. All right, so I'm a little past an hour now, so I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, Check out your audio horoscopes for more information on how this astrology is uh, coming in for you personally. Use the guided meditation for activists um, to help you balance out everything I just talked about and um, your own well-being and sense of centeredness. And I will catch you in a couple of weeks at the Leo New Moon. So until then, friends, thanks so much for listening and bye for now.